Good morning, and welcome to Floor's fourth quarter 2023 earnings conference call. Today's call is being recorded. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. A question and answer session will follow management's presentation. A replay of today's conference call will be available at approximately 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time today, accessible on Fluor's website at investor.fluor.com. The web replay will be available for 30 days. A telephone replay will also be available for seven days through a registration link also accessible on Fluor's website at investor.fluor.com. At this time for opening remarks, I would like to turn the call over to Jason Lankamer, Head of Investor Relations. Please go ahead, Mr. Lankamer. Thanks, Rob. Good morning, and welcome to Floor's 2023 fourth quarter earnings call. David Constable, Floor's Chairman and Chief Executive Officer, and Joe Brennan, Floor's Chief Financial Officer, are with us today. Floor issued its fourth quarter earnings release earlier this morning, and a slide presentation is posted on our website that we will reference while making prepared remarks. Before getting started, I would like to refer you to our safe harbor note regarding forward-looking statements, which is summarized on slide two. During today's presentation, we'll be making forward-looking statements which reflect our current analysis of existing trends and information. There is an inherent risk that actual results and experience could differ materially. You can find a discussion of our risk factors which could potentially contribute to such differences in our 2023 Form 10-K, which was filed earlier today. During this call, we will discuss certain non-GAAP financial measures. Reconciliations of these amounts to the comparable GAAP measures are reflected in our earnings release and posted in the Investor Relations section of our website at investor.floor.com. With that, I'll now turn the call over to David Constable, Floor's Chairman and Chief Executive Officer. David? Well, thank you, Jason, and good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. And please turn to slide three. To get started today, let me highlight the impact that Floor has made in local communities this past year. First, through Fluor Cares, that's our employee giving and volunteering program, we donated $4 million to worthy causes in 2023. That represents a 17% increase over 2022. In addition, the Fluor Foundation contributed $4.2 million to community initiatives and programs, with much of that funding going to support underserved groups. Fluor employees donated more than 33,500 volunteer hours in 2023. And that's an increase of 49% over our efforts the previous year. We provided nearly 1 million hours of science, technology, engineering, and math instruction to 237,000 students. And we provided 706,000 meals to those in need. As part of our commitment to sustainability, we planted 29,000 trees, including the reconstruction of a mangrove forest on the Philippines coast, plus a large-scale multi-year tree planting effort across four continents. These are just a few examples in the past year of the generosity of our employees and the company, which has helped Floor continue our honorable and long history of giving back. Please turn to slide four. It has now been three years since the launch of our new Building a Better Future strategy and the unveiling of our long-term financial targets. 2023 was a pivotal year in which we achieved some significant milestones. Our continued focus on operational excellence has allowed us to move past the inflection point in our path to creating significant shareholder value. I'm extremely proud of the results we've achieved and very thankful for all the efforts put forth by our employees worldwide. We'll discuss more about our future view of Fluor, including our prospects and financial outlook, in just a moment. 
2023, we were successful in converting our high-quality prospect pipeline into new awards, a trend we expect to continue in 2024. Revenue for the year was $15.5 billion, up 13% from 2022. Our full-year new awards in 2023 totaled $19.5 billion, with a book-to-burn ratio of 1.3. Through our disciplined pursuit of contracts, 87% of our new awards were reimbursable, and our total backlog is now 76% reimbursable, a full year ahead of our strategic goal. This is a significant improvement from 41% two years ago. And importantly, the current project mix across all business lines is the most diverse it has been in years. Now let's look at an overview of our fourth quarter highlights. Please turn to slide six. Beginning with Urban Solutions, segment profit for the quarter was $147 million, up from $38 million a year ago. Results include a $69 million effect from a settlement on long-standing claims on the Gordie Howe Bridge project, and a favorable determination on another legacy infrastructure project. At Gordie, the team made tremendous progress this past year on the bridge, and both ports of entry. We're on track to complete the bridge span this summer and we'll then start the handover process for the ports of entry. We are very pleased to have a resolution on Gordy that defines our cash funding obligations and solidifies the path to project completion in 2025. Our infrastructure group continues to focus on legacy project completions as its top priority heading into 2024. New awards for the quarter totaled $5.1 billion and included a multi-billion dollar reimbursable award from BHP for stage two of their Janssen Potash project in Canada. In addition, we booked a $1.7 billion reimbursable award with H2 Green Steel. This will be the world's first renewable hydrogen-based integrated steel mill. The site is expected to produce 5 million tons of sustainable steel annually by 2030. Ending backlog for the full year improved to $14.8 billion from $10.3 billion a year ago and is now 71% reimbursable. Moving on to slide seven. Mission Solutions reported a segment profit of $31 million in the fourth quarter compared to 20 million a year ago. New awards were modest in the quarter and ending backlog was 3.9 billion compared to 5.7 billion a year ago. During the quarter, the Mission Solutions Group took steps to enhance our technical service offerings to better serve customers in the national security market. Moving to Energy Solutions, please turn to slide eight. Energy Solutions reported a fourth quarter segment profit of $26 million compared to $124 million in 2022. Segment profit for the quarter reflects the impact of a large project nearing completion and $33 million in cost growth and schedule extension on a large upstream legacy project, which is scheduled to complete this quarter. This charge does not reflect additional opportunities for cost recovery from subcontractors or the client. Results also include a $6 million gain on embedded foreign currency derivatives. Fourth quarter new awards of $2.2 billion include a $1.3 billion reimbursable contract for a chemical project in Poland. In addition, our Ecofluor joint venture booked extra work on a large EPC project in Mexico. We also received an award for engineering services on a major Middle East chemicals project. Ending backlog was $9.7 billion up from $9.1 billion a year ago. 
At LNG Canada, the project is 90% complete overall and has transitioned into the system's completion phase. We expect to begin safe startup activities later this year. Before I turn the call over to Joe, I want to provide an update on our investment in NewScale. With respect to NewScale monetization, we continue to be engaged in an exclusive diligence process with a strategic investor that would provide an accelerated path to commercialization and does so in a way that maximizes returns for Fleur shareholders. We expect to have an update in the first half of this year. With that, let me turn the call over to Joe for the financial update. Joe? Uh, thanks, David, and good morning, everyone. I'd like to discuss an overview of our financial performance and provide an update on the progress we have made in strengthening our capital structure and share details on 2024 guidance. Please turn to slide 10. For the full year, Floor reported revenue of $15.5 billion and net income of $139 million, or 54 cents per diluted share. Results for the year include a $93 million loss on the sale of Stork Latin America that was transacted in the fourth quarter. Segment profit for the year was $537 million and adjusted EBITDA was $613 million. On an adjusted basis are 2023 results for $2.73 per diluted share. Corporate G&A expenses for the year were $232 million compared to $237 million a year ago. For the full year, we reported net interest income of $168 million as our cash management team invested in U.S. Treasuries and other interest-bearing assets to more than cover the $60 million in fixed-rate interest expense on our outstanding debt. Please turn to slide 11. Cash and cash equivalents combined with marketable securities were $2.5 billion, which excludes the $118 million in cash held by NewScale. Our operating cash flow for the year of $212 million was positively impacted by cash settlements in the fourth quarter from project claims and disputes as well as cash distributions from two of our largest proportionally consolidated joint ventures. Results for the year also reflect $129 million in funding of legacy projects. For 2024, we expect cash funding amounts between $100 and $200 million. As it relates to our significantly improved capital structure, I wanted to recap the progress made during the year. Last January, we reiterated our outstanding, we retired our outstanding 2023 Euro notes. In February, we extended the maturity of our revolving committed credit facility by one year, thereby extending the maturity date to 2026. In August, we executed a very well-received convertible debt offering to address our December 2024 senior notes. These notes were extinguished in late December. These transactions have reduced our stated interest rate on outstanding debt by 100 basis points to a weighted average rate of 2.7%. In addition, we have no debt maturing before September of 2028. In September, we converted our outstanding convertible preferred stock into common shares, which significantly simplified our capital structure. Finally, we also made considerable progress in divesting non-core businesses to allow greater focus on end markets with highest returns. Last year, we exited all Amico equipment rental operations, sold Stork Latin America, and reached an agreement to transact Stork's European operations, which is expected to close near the end of quarter one. We are currently marketing Stork's UK operations. Before we open the call to Q&A, David and I want to take a few moments to summarize our strategic outlook and provide details on what you can expect from us in 2024. David? Thanks, Joe. Let's turn to slide 13. 
In the fall of 2020, we began to think about a new strategy for the company. As we did that, we kept the aspirations of our core stakeholders in mind. These include building trust with our clients, creating a great place to work for our employees, becoming an attractive investment for shareholders, and continuing our tradition of having a positive impact on society and on the communities in which we live and work. As part of the strategic development process, we evaluated the overarching market conditions impacting the industries of our clients and the competitive environment. From that work, we identified four megatrends. To achieve our aspirations and take advantage of these trends, we developed our strategy, Building a Better Future, with the strategic intent to be the preeminent leader in professional and technical solutions while maintaining our global engineering and construction expertise. In order to achieve the strategy, we developed four strategic priorities. First, reinforcing financial discipline, which focuses on deleveraging the balance sheet. Second, pursuing fair and balanced contract terms, which is focused on de-risking the backlog. Third, driving growth across the portfolio is about diversifying revenue into growth markets. And fourth, fostering a high-performance culture with purpose is, among other things, about improving project execution. Taken together, these strategic priorities have delivered and will continue to deliver on our drive to maximize shareholder returns. Moving to slide 14, this slide shows the results of executing against our strategic priorities. Starting with reinforcing financial discipline, the upper left chart shows our debt to capital ratio, which was 63% at year end 2020. This ratio has significantly improved to 37% in 2023. We are already within the 2024 range as set out in 2021. Our 2026 target set last year is to be at less than 30%. Pursuing fair and balanced contract terms, the lower left chart shows our reimbursable backlog. We've increased our reimbursable share of backlog from 40% in 2020 to 76% today, achieving our 75% goal one year ahead of schedule. We intend to maintain a reimbursable backlog above 75%. Driving growth across the portfolio, the upper right chart shows the mix of non-traditional oil and gas revenue. We set a target of 70% by the end of 2023. You'll see from the graph we are currently at 65%. When we set the target, we expected Stork to be fully divested by now. Removing Stork's oil and gas revenues from the analysis, the number jumps to 71%. More importantly, we see significant prospects in front of us. In addition to opportunities in mission solutions and mining and metals, we have key prospects in chemicals, advanced technology and life sciences, and energy transition programs across the business portfolio. Fostering a high-performance culture with purpose, the chart on the lower right shows our performance and strength in project execution for new awards. 81% of ending backlog includes projects awarded since the beginning of 2020. These projects are performing at 116% of as sold. We expect to continue this performance by adhering to our stringent pursuit criteria, by applying our proven project execution methods, procedures, and risk processes, and by enforcing our guiding principles for financial forecasting. Moving to slide 15, to share some insight on how the execution against our strategy looks in 2024, here are just some of the opportunities we have on our radar. 
For our urban solutions segment, in advanced technologies and life sciences, we continue to strengthen our footprint and are well positioned for some exciting new opportunities in the semiconductor, data center, and pharmaceutical space. In mining and metals, we anticipate a full notice to proceed on a copper project in South America in the first half of this year. Looking ahead, we see additional sizable opportunities in battery metals and iron ore. In infrastructure, as mentioned earlier, we remain focused on executing our legacy portfolio. We also anticipate an award for the next phase of a significant motorway project in the Netherlands that we are currently working on. Within energy solutions, we have a robust pipeline of prospects, notably multiple feed awards supporting mega liquid to chemicals programs in the Middle East. Other opportunities in energy solutions include refineries in Mexico and the US Gulf Coast, and in the energy transition space, a large renewable diesel project in Canada. In mission solutions, we are well positioned for recompete scopes of work, including the strategic petroleum reserve renewal. In addition, we were recently selected for an extension on the Portsmouth decontamination and decommissioning program. We anticipate this extension to be funded later this year. Next, we expect to hear the NNSA's decision on Pantex in the second half of 2024. We also have opportunities in the nuclear fuel space, and we continue to pursue nuclear work for conventional and small modular reactor programs. Finally, we continue to see strong interest in our capabilities to support the intelligence services market. These projects represent over $75 billion in total installed cost, with a good number of our opportunities based in the United States. Now please turn to slide 16. Specific to energy transition, we see this as a driving force behind a shift from traditional energy to lower carbon energy sources. Fluor is well positioned across the spectrum of ET markets. In 2023, we had over 200 active energy transition projects, many of which are front-end technical solutions scopes of work that position us well for EPCM conversion. Here we are focused on five areas that spread across the clean electron, clean molecule spectrum. We have work and are pursuing opportunities in clean power and energy storage, the battery value chain, carbon reduction, hydrogen, and renewable fuels. And importantly, we have industry leaders and subject matter experts in each of these areas. Turning to slide 17, to summarize, the strategy is working, and we continue to see it reflected in our results. Our strategic priorities taken together are deleveraging the balance sheet and de-risking the backlog. They are driving revenue growth in new markets and improving product execution. We continue to restore trust with our clients and build confidence with our shareholders. As we look to continue improving our reputation through solid project execution, we are confident that our strategy is meeting our stakeholder aspirations and creating a business that generates consistent earnings and cash flow. I'll now turn the call back to Joe so he can provide details on how our efforts translate our strategy into financial performance for 2024 and what this means for capital deployment. Joe? Uh, thanks, David. Please turn to slide 19. We are establishing our 2024 adjusted EBITDA guidance at $600 to $700 million, or $2.50 to $3 per diluted share. Our guidance for 2024 fully meets our strategic plan expectations that we shared with the investment community in January 2021. 
In addition, we are reaffirming our 2026 adjusted EBITDA guidance of $800 to $950 million. While the company sees a robust prospect pipeline to support our internal strategic plan, going forward we intend to conform with accepted practices and only provide guidance on expected results for the current year. Our guidance for 2024 is based on our ability to successfully execute our strategic priorities on significant demand for our services across the end markets we serve and on achieving significant completion of our legacy projects over the next 12 months. To provide a bit more clarity on guidance for 2024, our assumptions include revenue growth of approximately 15%, net interest income of approximately $120 million, G&A expense of approximately $190 million, and an effective tax rate of approximately 35%. We anticipate free cash flow plus divestiture proceeds of approximately $350 million to $450 million excluding cash funding for legacy projects. Our estimate for cash flow is based on the underlying performance we see from the portfolio, receipt of cash from transacting remaining non-core businesses, and the working capital needs required for reimbursable projects. Our expectations for 2024 segment margins are approximately 5% in energy solutions, approximately 3 to 4% in urban solutions, which reflects $600 million in revenue for zero-margin legacy projects, and approximately 6% in mission solutions. Please turn to slide 20. We are incredibly pleased with our progress over these past few years as we transform back into one of the leading engineering and construction firms. The entire organization is excited about not only what we have accomplished, but also what lies ahead. Our positive results over the past few years, combined with our expectations for 2024 and beyond, continue to accelerate our journey towards restoring Floor's position as a leading solutions provider. Our primary investment will be to build and develop world-class teams to convert our prospect pipeline into backlog. Our focus on investing in our people supports our strategy of pursuing an asset light model that simplifies investors' understanding of our earnings power. By way of example, we added 5,000 employees in 2023. Our dedication and commitment to negotiating fair and balanced terms and getting paid for the value we provide are evident and ongoing. We have also shown success in the claims recovery process with three key settlements reached on some of our legacy projects, and we continue to hold productive conversations on other pending claims. Since a significant portion of these claims arose from COVID-related challenges, we see lower claims exposure over the coming years. As we continue this journey, we expect to arrive at a point where our funds exceed what is required to support our growth plans and lower risk portfolio. We look forward to uh, providing more details on what this looks like later in the year. Operator, we are now ready for our first question. At this time, I would like to remind everyone, in order to ask a question, press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. We ask you please limit yourself to one question and one follow-up. Your first question comes from the line of Stephen Fisher from UBS. Your line is open. Well, thanks. Good morning. Uh, just looking at your full-year EBITDA and EPS uh, for 2023, how that came in, comparing that with your 2024 targets, the growth actually looks pretty modest, but uh, of course your implied Gager from 24 to 26 uh, looks to be much faster in the, the double-digit area. So I guess to, to what extent is that just a, a slow ramp of 
of projects in backlog that you've expected or, or something else? And well, what do you expect to contribute most to the acceleration in, in 25 and 26? Um, Steve, thanks for the question. I, I think um, the way to level set how we view the kind of the growth and the trajectory between 23 and 24, there were a number of, of uh, settlements that we were able to achieve during 2023, which created some lumpiness in, in the earnings flow for the year. The best way to look at that is if you go back and look at the original guidance that we provided in 2023 of 450 to 600, if you, if you take that midpoint relative to the 600 to 700 in guidance in, in 2024, I think that gives you the apples to apples comparison of how we're seeing growth. And, and we have talked about um, the lessening burden of, of some of those claims activities that arose during, um, during the pandemic. So from an apples to apples comparison, uh, we're viewing that that growth um, uh, year over year in that in that way. Okay, uh, makes sense. And then, uh, can you talk about the the cadence of bookings that you expect in 2024? Do you think it's going to be more front weighted or back weighted? And kind of should we still expect double digit growth in in backlog in 24? It was it was nice to see that. Uh, 76% uh, ahead of schedule. I'm curious how you see the kind of the mix evolving in, in 24 as well. Hey, morning, Steve. It's David. Uh, yeah, it looks like uh, we'll continue on the on the track we've been on for the past couple of years. Uh, we have a lot of prospects uh, in front of us across all the business segments, and uh, I would expect you know if, when you think about book to burn, we've been messaging. I think last year we were messaging all, you know, one or above. I think we'll continue to see that. And uh, we've been overperforming on our, on our go-get factored, uh, factored numbers. So uh, we're pretty comfortable that uh, 2024 is going to be shaping uh, similar or, or possibly better than uh, 22 and, and 23. We, uh, we looked at the results of our hit rates at the company in 23, and they were they were uh, really strong. And I think that has a lot to do with our project pursuit criteria. We're going after projects. Uh, we hit 78% of the prospects we went after in 2023. Just a, a phenomenal number. Uh, and and note that that is with uh, bringing in 140 basis points above our backlog in margin. So not only hitting on a lot of them, but uh, improving improving the margin as well. And I expect that to continue. It's a seller's market right now. Thanks, Steve. Thank you. Your next question comes from a line of Andy Whitman from Baird. Your line is open. Yeah, great. Thanks uh, for taking my question this morning, guys. Um, I guess, Joe, I want to just dig in a little bit more on um, some of the comments you had around free cash flow. Um, and if you could just maybe just drill into this a little bit more. I think you said 350, 450, that's before uh, the cash burn on the legacy projects, but um, it's, uh, it, it does not include other cost recovery. So it, it looks like, if you're just looking through the K, it looks like you're expecting a big tax settlement. Could you give some kind of parameters around that? And do you expect any other kind of chunkier claim settlements to hit in 24? Like, I don't know when the cash on your, on your Gordy Howe bridge settlement um, is coming in. That was obviously a, a pretty significant amount. Uh, maybe you want to talk about how the, um, the, the, the joint ventures, the consolidated proportion 
uh, joint venture cash uh, is uh, factoring into that outlook in particular, considering that was a large balance. Um, those are just some of the things that come to mind for me. Maybe there are others, but maybe if you could just give us a little bit more detail, what's uh, what's supporting that uh, that cash flow outlook? Yeah, th- thanks, Andy. I'll give you the the um, the, the range on the tax uh, uh, item itself is uh, approximately 150 to 160 million. That's what we'll be popping in. In terms of claim settlements for 2024, I would expect less of of those activities because we did clear off a a significant portion of of those activities through our legacy projects in 2023, but there still are other opportunities that we'll pursue during the year. And what we did see come in in 2023 was uh, some of the uh, some of the retained earnings through our proportionally consolidated joint ventures. But really, the the initial kind of uh, push to to repatriate those retained earnings back into the 2020 uh, timeframe. So. As we move into 24, we're, we will see um, additional retained earnings flow in from those proportionally consolidated joint ventures, which will help to drive some of the, the upper end of the guidance that we've provided around our, our cash flow. Got it. Um, and then, David, uh, it's the, the, um, you referenced it here, the engineering services contract that you have uh, in the Middle East here uh, for liquids to chemicals. Some of the numbers being tossed around for that project uh, for like total installed costs are pretty pretty big numbers. I thought I'd just give you an opportunity to elaborate to the extent you could on this job a little bit. Uh, how, how meaningful can this job uh, and what's the profitability attached to this job um, at Fleur for you today as, as you're sitting here today? And maybe more importantly, um, given that it's such a mega project, uh, how much notice to proceed and visibility do you have in your backlog on it today? In other words, the, the confidence in it going forward. We're seeing some signs. Uh, obviously, like Aramco didn't uh, decide to increase its production outlook. Uh, you know, I don't know if that's a total reflection of their capital spending or not, but I would be curious as to what you're hearing from the customers uh, on these projects as to their uh, confidence in moving forward. Yeah, good morning, Andy. Uh, so having recently traveled there, I think I was there in November talking with uh, various clients, you know, uh, Sabic, Aramco, Modern on the mining side, and uh, very bullish right now in Saudi Arabia. We, we see this as a, as a real growth engine for the company, and we are extremely well positioned for uh, not only the mining work with Modern, but uh, liquids to chemicals. Uh, programs where they are shifting off, obviously from a, a lower automotive uh, fuel requirement to to high margin chemicals, uh, and we are getting started uh, with uh, with customers over there, and you'll see it in a ramp up of massive amounts of, of home office engineering hours, which deliver a, a, a good margin for floor. Uh, as we as we help them with our technical their technical solutions, where they really look to us, you know that's that's the value we're adding here to get these projects off on the right track, and then continue and help manage them through to through to completion. And they are, as you mentioned, uh, massive massive programs, and uh, and that's what we're uh, we're looking at getting kicked off right now. So. Uh, Confidence-wise, I'd, I'd, I'd say we're we're very confident that that the programs we're we're getting involved with um, 
uh, are going to going to be going forward. There's a lot to say grace over over uh, these projects, so it's not going to be just one contractor. It'll be multiple contractors supporting their their uh, their business plans. Great. Thank you very much. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, Andy. Your next question comes from a line of Sanjita Jane from KeyBank Capital Markets. Your line is open. Yeah, hi. Thank you so much for taking my question. Um, can I ask about uh, the nuclear opportunities that we've been reading about in Bulgaria and Romania and how close you may be to finalizing those, maybe? So, well, good morning. Um, you know, the nuclear space uh, continues to be something we we are supporting uh, both uh, in support of, you know, through the the new scale small modular reactor technology, uh, but also on conventional uh, nuclear facilities uh, right now. And in fact, uh, a good uh, a good portion of our our nuclear opportunities are in Eastern Europe, as those those countries Bulgaria, Romania, Poland looked. Uh, Towards energy independence, energy security uh, in that uh, that part of the world. So we are busy uh, uh, on opportunities there in SMRs, for example, in Romania. Uh, that uh, I believe right now is moving into a feed uh, a feed uh, position for us, uh, taking the lead there. And uh, we're also, like I said, looking at a couple of conventional units. Um, in in Romania, actually, on a reimbursable basis. Uh, so, uh, you know, post COP28, nuclear, uh, you know, the focus on nuclear is is very high, and you know, we're as we previously stated, we're really looking forward to supporting new scales commercialization commercialization efforts on in the small modular reactor space, and we're excited about our prospects there as they start to come to fruition, both. Uh, in the U.S. and overseas, particularly in Europe and Eastern Europe. Thanks. Great. Thank you so much. Uh, if I can ask on another end market, um, I didn't hear you guys address data centers in your prepared remarks. Is the, can you share some color on what you're seeing there and if the momentum kind of helps you in booking more backlog this year? Yeah, we do have uh, we do have a position in data centers. Um, certainly in Asia right now, we're uh, we're doing some big programs in data centers, and we see that continue. I think I did maybe quickly mention data centers as part of the advanced technologies and life sciences uh, opportunities uh, in my prepared remarks. So we definitely are uh, are focused on data centers. It's with everything going on in the world, uh, <laughs> data and data processing uh, via data centers is is going to be a big market uh, for Fluor, and also uh, upstream of that, the power generation required to drive those data centers. So, uh, yeah, definitely uh, we'll it'll start to feature more in our plans going forward. Great, thank you so much. Thank you. Your next question comes from a line of Michael Dudas from Vertical Research. Your line is open. Uh, good morning, gentlemen. Hey, Michael. Michael. 
Uh, maybe, David, can continue your thoughts there on advanced facilities. Um, maybe the state of your thoughts on the electronic semiconductor area, U.S. and abroad, and certainly the uh, pharmaceutical life sciences. been a lot of uh, activity. You've ramped up some business there. Uh, do you continue to see that momentum at bookings through 2024? Yes, we do, right? So uh, key focus, uh, in addition to data centers, right, is our semiconductor the semiconductor space and uh, and the pharma space. You know, I think you probably we've all seen yesterday's news about uh, the uh, Chips Act uh, uh, funding starting to flow. Right, it, I think it was put in place in 2022, but we're we're finally starting to see some some good flow there, and uh, so we see that as very very positive and I think more than 170 companies have applied for for grants and uh, we've got some key clients that we're staying close to in that space and uh, you know I think we're probably going to hear more as you probably read we hear more about uh, money flowing into the chip into the semiconductor space uh, and, and big awards coming out uh, possibly before the State of the Union address uh, in March so uh, we're staying close to all those key clients. We've got current work in Asia. We've got work on semiconductors in the U.S. and uh, and so very bullish on 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 that market. And pharmaceuticals, just getting really really getting going on on the diabetes drugs and the and the weight loss drugs uh, with two uh, very key clients uh, that we have uh, that we're working with right now. And those are um, just. Those, the size of those those pharmaceutical projects are um, just dwarf what what the market has what that space has been used to what that industry has been used to. These are multi-billion-dollar efforts that uh, require uh, you know project execution skills, project management skills uh, that Fleur can Fleur can bring. So uh, great time to be in the pharmaceutical space as well, and we have a long history there, as you know. I appreciate that, David. And my follow-up would be: you, you mentioned in your prepared remarks, or maybe Joe did, you've added 5,000 employees to floor, um, floor's professional staff in 23. Um, what, what's that on a, on a net basis? What type of growth do you see you need to achieve? Not only the backlog you've built, the growth you anticipate given the opportunities in front of you, and maybe when you and following on the LTC question in, in the Saudis. Uh, how you've been able to ramp up that with the professionals and engineering staff to um, to meet those needs? Because that's I think again going to be a lot of a lot of demand stress in that market for somebody like you guys. <clears throat> well, you're definitely correct there, right? It is, it is the number one focus area for the company, uh, Michael, across the management team and and across all the all the businesses uh, is uh, getting the right people at the right places at the right time. And uh, yeah, like I think Joe said, we've hired about 5,000 people in 23. You know, net net, it's not that much because we, as projects come down in certain regions of the world, uh, we'll have to uh, to uh, let let folks go. But uh, overall, we're trying to redeploy as many uh, as possible to support uh, to support uh, this growth that we're seeing. So uh, yeah, I, I would expect to see uh, you know probably another 5,000 hired this year or, or thereabouts, uh, and uh, and that continuing on that track. So now with the sale of 
with the sale of, of Stork, you'll see our numbers dropping, a headcount dropping somewhat, and uh, which is you know which is fine, but uh, you know it's it's with all the puts and takes on the projects, uh, uh, I'd say you'll you'll start to see the the headcount ramping up again. But we're being very cost effective at the same time as far as you know overhead overhead uh, count goes. So I think. Uh, on the uh, Saudi Arabia specifically, on the work in the Middle East, um, the ramp up is spread across various offices. Not, you know, we need multiple. We need Fleur's global strength to be able to execute those types of programs for those for those clients. So you'll see work going into Amsterdam. You'll see work going into the UK. You'll see work going into uh, Texas and Houston, and into our uh, execution centers in Delhi and the Philippines to be able to to uh, handle all of that all those hours that are coming coming at us. So that's where we're at right now. Excellent, David. Thank you. Thanks, Michael. Your next question comes from a line of Brent Thalman from DA Davidson. Your line is open. Hey, thanks. Good morning. Um, David, I mean, the book of business and urban solutions obviously really picked up here in the last year. Can you talk about the composition or, or mix the things in your backlog in that business segment, I guess, between ATLS, mining, infrastructure? Maybe how does that inform your your sort of profit margin outlook for the group in the 2024? And I, I guess in particular, is that mix between the different practice areas more attractive than, than in years past? Yeah, thanks, Brad. Uh, you know, it's been just, it's been so uh, gratifying to see that driving growth across the portfolio strategic priority uh, over delivering, right? We wanted to make sure that we didn't have all our eggs in the traditional oil and gas ba basket back in late 2020 when we set the, the strategy. Uh, not that we don't want <laughs> traditional oil and gas to continue. We know it is, and we are right there supporting it. Uh, and doing very well on the traditional side, uh, and now obviously in an energy transition across the company. But uh, what we said was we really wanted to grow in in in, uh, in the markets uh, based on those mega trends that we saw in front of us: urbanization and and uh, energy transition and, and big data. You know, Industry 4.0. Everything was <laughs> really being you know really leaning into the uh, urban solution space, and we've seen that. Um, through mining and metals, with obviously copper being a big play in the, those mega trends, uh, but also ATLS uh, as well. So, if you think about the backlog right now, it's uh, these are approximate numbers, right? We've got 10 billion in energy solutions, about 15 billion in urban solutions now, right? So. Uh, and then the, the remainder of four billion or so is in mission solutions to get up to your, your 29. And uh, yeah, mining is seven and a half billion of that backlog. Uh, ATLS is about three billion. Infra is at four. And we're starting to come along in, uh, in plant facility services as well, where we're starting to bring uh, a higher level of uh, service, including digital solutions to our operations and maintenance uh, offering. And uh, we've got some good prospects on the on the horizon there. So, 
As far as margins go, maybe Joe can comment on Urban Solutions margins with that type of backlog and what we're expecting. As you know, our guidance uh, that we're, we're putting out there right now is, uh, is, the, is the 3 to 4 percent, but it's, uh, as you mentioned, it's, it's the infrastructure that we've got to work through that uh, some yeah. of that as well. Yeah, I think, Brad, if, if you look at uh, kind of normalizing out the, the $600 million of zero margin revenue and where we're heading, um, we would expect the 3, 3 to 4 percent that we're laying out today as we move forward and progress through the backlog and, and what we've um, taken into our pipeline, that we would be in that 4 to 6 percent corridor. And, and we would feel comfortable. Towards the end of the year, we'll probably be looking at, at what that guidance looks like, but as we move out into 2025, squarely within the 4 to 6% corridor that we've laid out. Okay, that, that's really helpful. And then I guess maybe on uh, mission solutions, as you mentioned, kind of a lower level of backlog relative to the other two business groups, but um, any update on the timing of Pantex decisions and any other opportunities outside of that, you know, to build up the, the backlog in that business group? Obviously, that, that one's a bit lower here this quarter. Yeah, you know, Mission Solutions can be very lumpy with these uh, massive, uh, you know, uh, long-term 10, 20-year contracts. Uh, of course, we hit one in uh, late 2022 with Savannah River that was a very large program. So that's, again, it, that was a lumpy year because of, because of 22, but uh, those will continue to come around. I think uh, on Pantex, your question, uh, you know, we're expecting an award, um, I, I'd say second quarter to third quarter 2024, but before the election. So uh, maybe that's the best timing I can give you there. But uh, we're really excited about Mission Solutions and, and the future that we've got, uh, being such a strong uh, Department of Energy uh, contractor and picking up speed in, in the defense space and our log cap work in Africa and supporting the troops uh, uh, out of Germany. Uh, we see you know, really great opportunities in DOE and, and DOD, and of course FEMA comes along. Uh, we've just been uh, awarded that, that uh, Eastern U.S. East Coast uh, FEMA contract as well, which will continue to, uh, as, as things occur, uh, drive drive revenue. So, uh, you know, I think that's uh, uh, where we're at with Mission Solutions. And like I said, we're very positive, and, and we've moved towards uh, national security uh, and brought in some new management capabilities in national security uh, in the defense and intelligence space, where we're pretty excited about some prospects there as well. Those are prospects we don't talk about uh, publicly, but they are uh, very exciting and quite sizable. So that's that's where we're headed to Mission Solutions. Okay, appreciate it. And again, it's star one to ask a question. Your next question comes from a line of Michael Senator from Bank of America. Your line is open. Yeah, thanks for, uh, for squeezing me in, guys. Just your, your debt to cap is in your range. You have your target for 2026. It seems like you guys are really making progress on the targets you laid out. Positive cash flow ops in Q4. You're guiding for, for good 2024 free cash flow. So just with the mega trends you're seeing out there, 
Um, are you starting to reinvest in the business? Should we see you guys maybe even look, um, you know, organic investment, but even, you know, M&A wise, just curious how we should think about that since we're starting to see that where we're seeing the cash flow move. Thank you. Yeah, maybe I'll take the uh, kind of the cash flow movement up to the M&A. What, what you're seeing in 2024 is not only a servicing of, of some of the legacy, it's the tail, the cash flow tail of the P&L um, at the end of the day, but you're also seeing in there a, an organic investment in our business as uh, resources have become the number one um, criteria in order to to kind of support this this growth trend that we see in front of us. There is an there's an investment in the infrastructure, and there's an investment in in talent development and onboarding of individuals and training. So that is the organic investment that we're making happily into the business as we see the you know kind of the the demand curve um, increase for our services. Um, so there, there is some of that, but we, we believe that that'll become the baseline to support the growth into 25 and to 26. And also, when you get into a 75 plus reimbursable environment, we're not we're not working off of mobilization payments or big advances that you find through maybe the lump sum uh, more risk uh, uh, a more risk profile. So. There will be some cost to to continue to to kind of ramp up the reimbursable activities, but it's all done um, relative to supporting the infrastructure to to appropriately address and execute the projects that are coming our way. So I'll just add to that, uh, Michael. And again, yeah, as as Joe said, organically we're just investing in our people, right? And uh, and. Uh, attracting training and developing, but also our systems and as by way of example, offices. With this growth, uh, you know, we're going to be opening a Delhi satellite office. We've got two, three new offices in Houston, and uh, so that will continue. Uh, on the M&A side, uh, really just think about it as, as niche bolt-ons to, uh, to further the, the business as, as appropriate. Uh, potentially in, in mission solutions as a first as a first uh, wave. So uh, that's where we're at right now. And uh, you know, as as things continue to uh, to uh, go in the right direction, as we've been seeing here, the, then we start, of course, talking to the board about dividends and share buybacks and things like that. Good to hear. And uh, just thematically, there's always a worry with rates still kind of high that some projects will get pushed out to the right. It doesn't seem like that's what you're seeing based on where your backlog. Um, you need to see rates come down for that robust pipeline to convert, or do you feel like if rates stay here, you guys still have visibility on, on, on really some of those bookings that you're expecting to play out through the year? Yeah, you know, the, the projects that we uh, work on, other than maybe some energy transition developers, that, that would need some financing, which uh, uh, they've been somewhat successful at. But, uh, you know, our, our key client base, if you will, uh, that we deal with, you know, use their balance sheets. So, and, and our clients look through the short-term challenges of economic and, you know, geopolitical uh, challenges, and they play the long game, right? So, as I look at the client capex across, you know, just a sampling of of, of floors, you know, say ten clients for 
you know, that, that I took a look at here a couple of weeks ago. You know, their CapEx for 2024 is holding strong up. Some some of them are up, but just those 10 are going to spend about $110 billion in CapEx, and they, they expect to spend 125 in, in 25 annually, $125 billion in the out years. So uh, with with quite a bit of that, you know, $20 billion in energy transition, where, again, we, we are uh, well positioned and are, as I said, working on over 200 projects in energy transition. So I, I think uh, we're in a very good space. Um, you know, you take you take BHP this morning that came out and said, well, they, you know, nickel's uh, not doing well for them, so they're pivoting to copper and iron ore and potash, which is right in our wheelhouse. So, and they're gonna and they they didn't change their their capex guidance. So, I just think that you know interest rates are, are less of a concern uh, for for fluor uh, and our our uh, our prospects and. Then you've got, of course, the Mission Solutions clients that are spending in our space, in DOD, DOE, and, say, TxDOT, one of our key infrastructure uh, customers. You know, they're spending $279 million, uh, a billion, sorry, billion last year and $292 billion in 2024. So there's so much to say grace over. Uh, we just need to be careful that we don't bring too much work in. We have to make sure we've got the resources, uh, the A-teams, to execute these projects and be very selective and get paid for the value uh, that we bring and the best opportunities. Thank you. This ends our question and answer session. I will now turn the call back over to CEO David Constable for some closing remarks. All right, thank you, operator. Many thanks to all of you for participating on the call today. You know, based on our performance, it's evident that we are well positioned to leverage the progress uh, we've made over the past three years, and we expect that this will drive significant value for Fluor shareholders for years to come. So again, we appreciate your interest in Fluor Corporation, and thank you again for your time. This concludes today's call.